Well, hello all, Mike Falkenstein here with 1A Catalyst. Together with my friend Steve Shermer of Silk Road Catalyst, I'm one of the co-hosts of Missions Talk. Missions Talk is a show where we have regular media content on best practices and inside looks into what God is doing around the world in missions, featuring guests that are involved in global missions from parachurch organizations, churches, and other missions networks around the world. We have a deep heart to help you find ways to reach your world for Christ. And on today's episode, we continue our series on the worldwide church being a mile wide and an inch deep. We talk today to Carl Dalfred with Overseas Missionary Fellowship serving in Thailand and get his thoughts about this phenomenon. Well, hello, friends. Mike Falkenstein here with 1A Catalyst, and I want to be the first one to welcome you to this, the latest episode of Missions Talk. And I'm here again with uh, uh, my good buddy, uh, Steve Shermer. And uh, Steve, how are things out in uh, South Carolina today? Hot. Oh, hot. Yeah, so yesterday I think my car temperature gauge was up to 98. Oh, wow. So... (laughs) But this weekend, I think we get back down to the 70s for a high, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's great. That's great. Well, Steve, the... uh we didn't plan it this way, but that's a good uh, segue. We on this uh, episode of Missions Talk, you know, we're gonna. It's the second episode of this uh, series we're doing on the global phenomenon mm-hmm. we're finding around the world in relation to, um, you know, we're hearing the same phrase, you know, that the global church is a mile wide and an inch deep, and so we have a guest today. Uh, Carl uh, Dolfred, who I've actually gotten to know, had some had him on some of the content here on the One Eight Catalyst side. And Carl, number one, as we bring you in, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. And you were just talking about how um, where you are in Florida, uh, it's kind of the the heat is sort of good training for your kind of reacclimation to Thailand, isn't it? You you're uh, you're kind of warming up there too now. That's right. We uh, recently moved from Scotland, which is uh, quite uh, quite cold and quite cloudy, but uh, we're on our way back to uh, to Thailand. So Florida is a nice stopping off point to get used to uh, the heat and the outdoor lifestyle here before uh, heading back to Southeast Asia. That's right. I would think, yes, that's probably a good idea. The difference between the weather in Scotland and the weather in Thailand are two very different things, aren't they? Night and day. <laughs> well, Carl, we're so glad to have you. If you want, we'd love to have you just uh, introduce yourself and uh, give folks watching a little of an introduction to who you are and what you do. Sure. So um, thanks, great. Thanks, Mike, Steve, for having me on the show. It's great to be with you. Um, so as Mike already mentioned, my name is Carl Dolfred, and uh, I'm an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church in America. But for um, more than a decade, I've been working in uh, Thailand with International, doing theologian, helping with the editing and translation of books. And uh, my wife and I, my kids, were in Florida uh, preparing to head back to Thailand. Our plans were upended a bit because of uh, COVID, but we're hoping to be back there later this year where I'll go back to teaching uh, church history and missions at uh, a theological seminary in Bangkok and go back to working with uh, with the church there. And we're hoping to have uh, uh, at least a couple more decades uh, serving the church in Thailand. 
Oh, that's great. Well, that's really good to hear because uh, we certainly need a lot of uh, kind of long-term people right out in the mission field. And so I'm uh, really glad to hear that. So Carl, if you, I think we've got you up to speed, but for those watching, uh, so we've, we're doing this series on, uh, you know, the global church and kind of this phrase we're hearing, right, of the that the global church is a mile wide and inch deep. And uh, uh, so Steve and I wanted to sort of investigate that a little bit. And uh, we did a episode in episode one. Uh, we kind of talked about the kind of the basics of that. And uh, Steve, that um, uh, this is a good topic to talk about, isn't it? I mean, it's sure been interesting to. It's sure been interesting to begin to investigate, hasn't it? It has, and I think I think we are. I think uh, Mike and I, you and I, agree on this, and I'm sure Carl does too. Is it's not just a U.S. issue or a Western issue that that concept of being a mile wide and inch deep can actually be anywhere globally. You know, sometimes I think we look at from a Western perspective, we look at India, China, places like that, and we think, oh, the persecution, man, they're such strong, committed believers as if all of them were like that but you know we know that's not true uh there are uh, definitely strong committed people everywhere but there are discipleship issues everywhere simultaneously and um and i really love the the story about thailand that you shared last time um the research and everything mm -hmm. i you know i didn't know about that till you shared it so i was really appreciative that you brought that up yeah and actually the story came from an article that carl Oh, wrote. so uh, so did not Carl, know that the, till just now. Yeah, so Carl, the uh, in our episode one, I shared that story of the uh, the Billy Graham Association together with some some Thailand uh, some Thai organizations uh, did that um, evangelistic crusade. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was called Hope for Thailand, and then the you know the the research after and you know. Uh, thousands of people came to know the Lord and the research after indicated that uh, really there was no difference in baptisms of Thai churches in the area, uh, attendance. Um, and uh, so, Carl, I would assume, I mean, that that's just one example, right? I mean, the what we're finding with evangelistic crusades is certainly uh, you want to have good follow-up after those, after those, uh, uh, those efforts, don't you? Yeah, so that was the uh, the My Hope Thailand uh, campaign of the Billy Graham Evangelist Association in 2009. And uh, the researchers who followed it up, uh, Dwight Martin and Martin Visser, and they, they wrote up their findings in, uh, in EMQ, Evangelical Missions Quarterly, found that it was in terms of you know baptism numbers, um, a year on after this, uh, this campaign that had recorded 12,000 decisions for Christ, that there really wasn't much of a difference between churches that participated in the Billy Graham campaign and those that didn't. You know, the number of, new, of people who have been baptized in that past year was about the same in each of them. So they came to the conclusion that, okay, maybe these evangelistic rallies have some benefit, but probably no more than the activities that they, they end up replacing. So it just sort of puts a big question mark over whether these, these big rallies are are really doing anything more than local churches are, are doing already. Uh, right. And so, yeah, that could be a whole episode that we could do right on, uh, evangelistic, evangelistic crusades versus then the, uh, the important need for follow-up and maybe even how do we do that? Well, 
but um, I know that uh, Carl, one of the reasons we wanted to have you come on the on the program and talk about this in particular is that you've had some theological education in this area. So I, if I remember right, uh, your uh, theological seminary training has enabled you to have a doctorate in global Christianity. And so I thought, boy, that that kind of be perfect, to, you know, for you to be able to come. So so in that role, so in the study that you've done and in those doctoral studies, I'm wondering from your perspective, what are these root causes of this mile wide and an inch deep trend that we see in the global church? Are there some things that you've been able to um, to find? Yeah, so um, even before I did the doctorate, I did a master's theology looking at um, where the altar call, where, <clears throat> excuse me, the sinner's prayer came from, looking at, you know, Charles Finney and the Second Great Awakening and so forth, because I was concerned about all these big conversion numbers being reported. Um, so the U.S. has, the U.S. is into efficiency, it's into big numbers, we statistics and business, and that sort of influences how uh, Americans approach uh, global Christianity, approach uh, evangelism. So I think some of the root causes of this mile-wide, inch-deep phenomenon is uh, and an emphasis among missionaries, and then this is this is uh, passed on to those they work with, an emphasis on uh, large numbers of converts, um, church growth, reporting the number of, of churches. There's some folks who want to report, you know, we planted, you know, 500 house churches this year. Um, an emphasis on these two things over solid Bible teaching, over discipleship, over leadership development. Um, so it's so if we got back to, you know, just really... Bible and discipleship, and that was our, our main bread and butter in event in in ministry. Then I think some of these problems uh, would be solved. Um, with that said, um, there's always the problem of um, of human arrogance, cult of personality. Um, some big leaders who want to just do it all themselves and get the attention, and big numbers look really good uh, for that. And also mile wide, each inch deep. I think it's influenced by culture. Um, so in the West, you know, the church is compromised by consumerism, this emphasis on efficiency of not causing offense to anyone. We want to have you know the nice Jesus, not the one who f- offends. And there's all, all sorts of other compromising cultural things in other parts of the world. So in, you have uh, ancestor worship. Um, you have this looking for approval of family, cultural respectability, not wanting to, to stick out. So there's all, there's, it's culture, and it's also the emphasis that you know, missionaries have, have brought to it as well. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? Um, but uh, certainly, uh, I think, yeah, certainly numbers. If you focus on numbers more than depth, uh, that's going to contribute towards um, maybe a lot of numbers. The, In other words, the mile wide, uh, mm-hmm. but then the inch deep part is uh, not focusing in on those uh, important things like Okay, here's how you spend time in God's word. Here's how you here's how you do some of these things what we call the spiritual disciplines and you know um you know yeah uh it's just easy and it's interesting it's easy with uh, ministries generally to focus on the numbers, right? Because donors like numbers mm-hmm. and those that are contributing towards ministries and churches like hearing these things. It's like this uh Hope for Thailand, 
Uh, I wish I had the actual numbers here, but there was whatever it was, 12,000 people that came to know Christ. And so for those donors that contributed, what they hear is, wow, 12,000 people came to know Christ through money that I gave for this thing. And, uh, you know, what they don't want to hear and what they probably don't hear and what they don't even ask is, okay, a year later, you know, what are the results? And so um, I'm interested, Carl, in that area. Is there, uh, what are the ways that we, I don't know if combat, that's the right word, but I guess the, uh, I would think that actually the, the way that we actually combat that, right, is the donors themselves need to go deeper and they need to understand in their own lives, right, that uh, they're in their own depth, they see the benefit in ministries that work on depth also and not just on the numbers. Am I onto something here? Yeah, I think in talking to churches, talking to donors, and um, we did emphasize it's disciples that really matter. It's not numbers, but it's really disciples that matter. So, I mean, as you give money, you know, what's the most important thing? Is it that you, you feel like you have a good return for your money, like you're doing a business investment? Or do you, do you want to really see disciples made? If you're going if, if uh, indigenous missionaries, if local church workers, if, if you know, foreign missionaries are really going to feel free to uh, really teach the Bible and do what's most important to build disciples, they need to know that the people supporting them have their back, that the donors are not going to pull the plug if they don't see enough numbers. So um, missionaries need to hear, churches need to hear that, um, hey, we, your donors, we value faithfulness. We value um, you teaching the Bible and really getting people grounded in the Word of God. And if you don't have big numbers, that's okay. We trust that you're being faithful. It needs to be a, a two-way street of, of trust there, that a donor's trust that the uh, that the missionaries, that the church workers are doing the right thing and emphasizing uh, scripture and discipleship. And the missionaries need to uh, need to be confident. They need to trust that the donors are not going to pull the plug if they don't uh, have large numbers in every prayer letter they send back. That's, that's that's really good. And, you know, Steve, you and I have talked about this, of course, in uh, relation not only to our own ministries, right? It's the uh, kind of the, the temptation to, you know, I don't think you and I would either, you know, we probably wouldn't actually in, uh, artificially inflate the numbers, but it's, you know, just generally speaking, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a struggle to, to just really report exactly on uh, what ministries are doing, isn't it, Steve? You know, uh, I was writing some notes That's as right. you were as you were talking, and I'm so glad you brought them up because they weren't even, I wasn't even thinking about them, but you're so right. Um, I was, I noticed something on social media the other day of a ministry, and I won't name it, just talking about some results from the last year. They were talking about the number of people uh, who believed the gospel, the number of churches that were planning. And if you looked at the graphic on face value, then it was impressive. And mm-hmm. it, it was, you know, being used, and rightfully so, to encourage people to give and to support the ministry. And I would have done the same thing. But I looked at it and I decided, well, I wonder how many new believers per new church if we were to average it. And it only came down to seven. Mm-hmm. Seven new believers per new church. Uh, I remember a friend oh. of mine, Justin Long. Um, I know Mike knows him. That's right. Um, he will say that for a church to be 
for it to survive long term, it really needs to have at least 15 people. Uh, that's his definition. That's his threshold. He's, he's from his experience below 15. Uh, generally, the churches don't survive. Uh, and then there's a question, as Mike uh, insinuated, that I would probably argue, maybe it didn't, I don't know if it mentioned it in the report in Thailand, but it, it was something I took away from it. You just don't even know with, you know, with what's happening two, three years down the road, you know, are these churches still in existence? Um, I have a friend from China who has told me issues with churches falling apart because they didn't have the strength, the depth, uh, the leaders within them. And I'm very pro house church. I am. But even Mm -hmm. in that model, I see holes. I see issues. I see things that people who are pro multiplication as I am, we need to deal with and address in terms of eldership, uh, leadership. Um, and so I think there's a question of definition in terms of what these churches are. I think in the West, we're too much on the numbers, like you mentioned. Uh, it looks good on paper, but it doesn't always transition into uh, viability long term. And yeah. um, and I loved what you said after the second question. Churches, we missionaries need the freedom. And that's what I love about my church. It's the first church I've been in that I have felt that. Or at least I'll say it's the first time I've heard it where the pastors have said, we're not about the numbers. Of course, we want to see great things, but we know it takes a long time in many cases in these difficult, unreached places for even something to happen. And, you know, if we're going to reach these places, we need patience. Uh, We need to support our workers even when we don't see much. And like you said, we need to build. We need that trust. The missionaries need the trust. Uh, we need to trust the churches uh, who are supporting us. The churches need to trust the missionaries who they're supporting and um, and not be too wrapped up in the results. Uh, mm-hmm. Results are good. I love numbers. I think they paint a, a good picture, but they don't paint a complete picture. And they don't paint the the complexities of the work that missionaries are involved in and the difficulties, not just like persecution, difficulties of just walking into a people group, um, Mm -hmm. language, culture, gaining trust, all those things, just to be able to share the gospel. Um, You know, in some cases it could take years, even a few decades at times. So I appreciate you um, mentioning those things. So for those watching today, in light of that, uh, what would you think would be key ways that um, they could help in adding depth to the work that's being gone, especially those who are not there? You know, what could churches, supporters, organizations, anyone, you know, what can they do to help add depth or to ensure that depth is being pursued? I think the first thing that they could do is when uh, missionaries, their, ch- their church supports or ministries, their church supports. When they come visit the church, when they have an opportunity to just actually talk with them, you know, face to face, is to emphasize to them, you know, we value we value your faithfulness, um, and it's, it's really important to us that you're teaching the Bible and that you're building disciples. And if you don't have big numbers uh, to report to us, that's okay. We don't want you to feel pressure to have all sorts of amazing things happening in every single letter you send home. We know that you're there for the long haul, and we're behind you. So don't feel this pressure uh, to produce. You do what um, is necessary to really build people up in the Word of God 
and in holiness. Um, so that they're walking with the Lord. And if churches develop and you know leaders develop and you know things grow, that's awesome. We'll be really excited with you. But don't feel the pressure because we're not we, we're not going to pull the plug just because you're not saying you have you know thousands of people coming to Christ every day. Mm. Mm, that's that's really good actually, because uh, there is that pressure, right? Uh, I often think about the story of uh, William Carey, right, who in the 1800s went from England to India, and I think it was the f- seven years until he got his first, the Lord gave him his first convert, and I often think, man, those six years, <laughs> what is he reporting back home? You know, yeah. what is he feeling himself? Uh, you know, and uh, did he ever get discouraged enough or he was about to quit? Because, you know, you mm-hmm. think about you're five and a half years in and you don't have anyone who's come to know Christ through your ministry. And yet we see the, you know, the end result. So um, and yeah, so, Carl, that's really good. Uh, what other key ways do you think there? Well, this actually kind of relates to the first way. I mean, I think um, those in those in the West, you know, you get emails or you contact sometimes from, you know, the brother in India who has the orphan revival ministry or, you know, you get contact with, you know, bro- you know someone in Indonesia or Africa. And you may not know these folks or maybe sometimes it is people you do have connections with, you know, a missionary, you know, on the field. They know this ministry that think is worthwhile. Um, if we have a chance to go, if churches uh, or church leaders have a chance to go and visit these folks, is to emphasize those same things. So a minute ago I said, hey, if missionaries come visit your church, tell them, you know, we value faithfulness over, you know, big numbers. I think that um, these uh, global church partners, they need to hear the same thing because um, the folks in the global church, realize, especially in, in places that are um, uh, economically impoverished compared to the West, know that if they can paint a really exciting picture of what their ministry is doing, then they can get donors from uh, from America or from England or some place or Germany or whatnot. So they, they understand how this how this works. Right. Um, but if we can actually go and visit these people and sort of see what, what they're doing, or missionaries that we know on the field can refer us to faithful gospel workers who are deserve who um, would be faithful and and account- be willing to be accountable with support that we would send. We can form those relationships with those who are teaching the Bible. We're emphasizing doctrine. We're emphasizing uh, holiness and walking with the Lord. If we can find those people in the global church that we can get behind um, and tell them also, you know, there's this free, you should have the freedom to be faithful um, and not worry about numbers, then they'll have that, that freedom as well. So, I mean, because the global church is going to advance through um, local people in every country in the world. I mean, the number of missionaries out there, I mean, missionaries have done a great work in the history of the world, but the overall numbers is just like it's just this small. Um, you know, from the American things, like we see the missionaries as the as the big face, but really it's um, you know Uncle Wu in this village over here sharing the gospel with his extended network of people, um, or you know, you know, Miss Wong or something who's you know going to Bible school and then she becomes a, a teacher in a in a local school and is sharing with the kids. It's those mm. sort of people that are really going That's to be right. the, the forefront of the global church, not any sort of uh, a missionary. So um, we need to emphasize this to the churches out there as well and form uh, strategic partnerships with people who are um, valuing faithfulness over um, over just numbers. Mm. So that's 
Um, yeah, I guess I, I would add that. And then just Bible, 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 gospel, gospel, gospel. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you said a couple of good uh, things I like, uh, Carl, of course, you know, what I hear in, in what you've said is something about, uh, uh, missionaries really giving away the ministry to the indigenous people as absolutely as soon as you can. Right. That, uh, at the end of the day, it is those people that'll reach, uh, their own people for Christ. And, uh, you know, and then, uh, of course, uh, as you were talking, Carl, I thought about, um, kind of a trend in this in this episode i think is um for for donors and for those of us like the three of us who have the maybe the the opportunity to potentially uh partner with other ministries uh having some kind of a uh lens of being able to see okay this is really an effective ministry that's adding to the depth this is a ministry that's just concerned with the numbers. And so um, I'll ask both of you, Steve, I'll start with you. Uh, what do you think about that idea of sort of having kind of a, a, a criteria of ministries um, or criteria for ministries that we partner with that, hey, I really, really only want to partner with those that are adding depth. Is that uh, what would you add uh, to that? I think that's a good idea. I think so. Um, and, I, and I'll just say everything Carl says, there's just so much we can. This, I think this is one of those episodes we could go on for a long time. Uh, every point <laughs> he's right. made. You know, I, I have a strong belief in accountability. You know, accountability is not always fun and it's not always enjoyable. But I think donors, churches, partners need to hold their missionaries accountable I think they need to ask questions about what's going on. Um, you know, if they're in the existing partnership, I think if they're looking to get into a partnership, they need to start, they need to ask a lot of questions about how a, a ministry or missionary or organization does things. Um, I know my experience with my church, uh, it was a two year process before they made a decision. Uh, so there was no manpower. There was no financial support. There was nothing. There was just two years of meetings and questions and examining how we did things, how we approach things, uh, what we believe before they jumped in with us. And I think it's critical. Uh, even just the other day, I got an email from the wife of a pastor of a church who supports us uh, down in Florida. And mm. I sent out a report uh, by email and she wrote back and it was an accountability question. And it was, didn't you already report this to us? Kind of like, cause I, I've seen reports, oh. uh, kind of on a side note from missionaries who do, they just keep sharing the same thing. You know, it's like, oh, right. wait six months, share it again. And people forgot, but it sounds like it just happened just yesterday when in reality, it probably happened oh, two years right. ago. I've seen that right. happen. And I appreciated that she did that. Now, I wrote back and I said, yes, I have shared this. It was probably a month or two ago, but it was on a different median. And this, you know, where I'm sending it now, there's a lot of people who aren't getting it over there. So, you know, and I explained why. Uh, and I tried to coordinate to sync when I share it on all those platforms. But in this case, it just got separated. But I appreciated it. And, you know, we had someone else before they gave to one of our missionaries uh, contact me, say, w let me ask you some questions. And he just 
he's like, please don't think I'm being mean, but he asked a lot of great questions that no one ever asked. And I was like, you should ask those questions every time. Right. So I think a system of not just, I want to be involved in missions, not just, I want to be involved in a certain people group or country or with a certain organization, but you need to ask the questions of depth. I think you need to ask the questions of define church. If you do church planting, what does that mean? Not just, it sounds great when we say, hey, we planted a thousand churches. Is that a thousand churches with a hundred people or a thousand churches with five people? Because mm, I know everyone on this right. call knows that there are missionaries. If there's even three people, they'll call it a church. <laughs> and they'll report right. it as a church to their donors. And it sounds impressive when you say I've planted a thousand churches, but when you're not asking questions, well, what does that mean? You know, the donors are just seeing a thousand churches. Wow. And, but their perspective of church is what they're involved in back home. Um, right. You know, we need to ask those questions and I'm a big fan of that. And I wish, and I think I'm okay with people asking me those questions. And sometimes they're hard to answer. Sometimes they're easy to answer, but they need to be asked. And, um, you know, questions about depth, discipleship. How do you disciple? Uh, why do you do it? You know, those questions are okay. It's just good uh, due diligence uh, before you jump into the partnership. So uh, accountability, I loved your, I won't go into the comment about the social media thing, but uh, Mike knows I've talked about that quite a few, about the random person contacting you on social media. Yes. Um, please partner with us. I definitely have some viewpoints on that, and I've talked about them on our um, organizational YouTube channel. And um, so, yeah, I... I don't know if I have anything to add to what Carl said. I just probably am emphasizing my thoughts based on what he said. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely love um, every point you've made, Carl. I think they're critical. Um, as you were talking about the global, uh, the social media stuff, uh, the reporting, I started thinking, you know, my experience in China being over there, a lot of things the locals did is what they taught. They, it's what they learned from others. And generally mm, what they yeah. learn from the U.S. in most cases. Mm. And I mm -hmm. think when you have a pastor in a global South context and they're trying to um, up their game to get your attention and your support, mm -hmm. it's because they learned it from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And if, if someone's, you know, so anyways, that just goes back to do your due diligence. Um, if it takes a couple of years to do it, like my church, don't, don't worry, be patient. You'll That's be happy right. you did. And you may discover right. along the way, whoa, this is not the right person we need to partner with. You know, they do not line up with mm -hmm. our philosophy. So uh, due diligence is critical and accountability even after you've done it. That's right. That's right. So it seems like, uh, guys, we've got a couple of uh, themes that I'm hearing. Uh, so, Carl, as we begin to sort of wrap up this episode, uh, I'll ask you about these two themes. It seems like it's okay, for the ministries that are working on the ground around the world, uh, mm -hmm. add those programs, add those the, that content that adds the depth, which actually in the third episode of this series, uh, we're going to be talking about disciple-making movements. Uh, we'll have a separate guest on to talk about that. Um, and so they're sort of from the organizational side, uh, add those programs don't worry i mean it's great uh, jesus calls us to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation right mark 16 15 so proclaiming the gospel and 
being gospel uh, talkers, talking about the gospels is important. But then, you know, we need to definitely be adding that depth. And then secondly, on the donor side, uh, be looking for those people that are those organizations that are that are adding that depth and ask the hard questions for those that aren't. Because uh, the question, the reason that those questions need to be asked is if you're telling me 5000 people came to know Christ through your ministry, what are those people doing today? Right. If it's a year or two later. And so. Uh, so as we end this episode, am I kind of on to, on to something there in those, in the kind of those two areas? Yeah, that's absolutely right, Mike. So, you know, first of all, um, we need to emphasize Bible teaching, discipleship, um, in addition to evangelism, ministries that focus on evangelism, that's good, but that's only, that's only one part of it because, you know, the great commission that Jesus gave us, it was to, um, make disciples of all nations and then. Then we just leave them and go on and plant another church someplace else. No, you teach them everything that I have commanded you. So there's this whole teaching component of the Great Commission that gets left off sometimes. So, um, so yeah, that's the first thing that content-wise we need to emphasize uh, the teaching and discipleship. And then second of all, um, donors freedom. Well, they need to build the relationships and find those they can partner with, whether they be people from their own church who are going out as missionaries or those who are uh, out uh, out in the globe someplace uh, ministering in their own countries, is foster those relationships um, and get to know people and partner with those that we're on the same page with, that we can that we can mm-hmm. trust and are going to be um, emphasizing those important content things, not only evangelism, but also discipleship. Mm, that's great. Well, Steve, as we end uh, on that note, any final words from you? Oh, that's a dangerous question, Mike, right now. There's just a lot going through my head. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll guess I'll just end with this. A couple of things. Okay. Number one, uh, number, I love numbers. I, I love looking at them. Like I said earlier, it paints a good picture, but it doesn't uh, paint a complete picture, so we can't rely on them completely because mm-hmm. we don't know the story behind those numbers. We just see numbers. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, I, uh, on another point... Um, I think there's a problem with um, too many people, especially from America. And and I say this because I used to be this guy, okay? I know exactly the train of thought. I know what I'm talking about. Reach them and leave them. That the, the priority is we've just got to get them saved. We just got to get them to pray the sinners. I come from a Southern Baptist background. That is like, we are the poster children of <laughs> just pray the prayer, okay? When I lived in China, I was constantly telling volunteers, do not force or rush the sinner's prayer. Ask, share the gospel, ask questions, try to discern where they're at, but don't get them just to pray. Because as, as Mike can attest, and maybe, I don't know if Thailand is the same way, but you could get a lot of people to pray that prayer and it meant nothing. That's right. And they're just saving your face. That's yep. all many of them yep. were doing. And in fact, we had a volunteer team come share the gospel with this Buddhist girl. She prayed the sinner's prayer. Um, they left a week later. I passed it off to one of our interns. He went and followed up, came back to me and said, oh, she's not a Christian. And I, I didn't believe him because we had some, there were some theological issues rising up with him. So there was kind of a level of distrust. So I pushed okay. back. Mm-hmm. And he kept pushing back again. So I said, okay, my wife and I will go meet with her. We did. 
we sat down and literally within a couple of minutes, she affirmed that she prayed the prayer, had no idea what she said, and that she was a Buddhist. Those were her words. And when I reported that back to the church, uh, just and, and with in the spirit of please pray for her, stay engaged with her on Skype or whatever. They got angry. Uh, oh. They uh, they criticized me uh, in, in, through emails. Um, what, the pastor came back and said, "Boy, this girl who led her to Christ, she wanted to jump through the the computer if she could and strangle you." That was his words. <laughs> because I said. This is what I said. I'm not interpreting her words. This is exactly what she said to me. I know the culture. I know these people. You guys were here for a week. I wasn't criticizing the church. I get it. Right. I just, I wanted, I was encouraging them to pray, but they were so angry and said, and they said, you are not God. I said, you're right. But she's not a believer either. She's a Buddhist (laughs) and she said it. So, um, but because, you know, they grew up with the mindset we just got, once you say the prayer, that's it. You're done. You're sealed. Uh, I don't have to worry about anything. That's a problem, I think. And that contributes, I think, greatly to the mile-wide, inch-deep um, mentality. I don't think it's intentional that um, we want that, but that's what many people do. It's been my experience. Um, I, I, I'm not against crusades, but I do question whether it's a unintentional side effect of some of them. If, if we're not doing our due diligence with the local follow-up and how churches are doing it. Um, whereas just like the Thailand report, uh, showed there wasn't much of a difference from one year to the next in terms of baptisms. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot mm-hmm. of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort was spent, but there wasn't a significant difference, uh, in it. So, you know, I, I wouldn't, I know there's probably people hearing me and are angry and think I'm blowing smoke or something, but I, I would really encourage people to, to really think about this and to try to process and think critically and to ask questions. Um, yes, it's okay to look at numbers. I do. Okay. I like them, but we've got to ask what those numbers mean, what's behind the numbers. So we have a better picture of what's going on. Um, Because even my wife with the organization she was with previously, when she moved to a new location, there was all these churches on a list and she went and and was asking, where are they? And her supervisor said, don't say anything. You cannot report that they don't exist anymore. And my wife was like, (laughs) really? and it bothered her because uh, it was more of, we're not going to say anything. We get that churches fall apart. And I get it too. They don't all last. And, right. But we need to say, if someone asks, how many churches made it? How many didn't? And we need to be asking why they're not. It's okay. I have found that if we're truthful with donors and supporters, they'll stand with us regardless. That's right. Yeah. Represent yeah. the truth. Explain the difficulties. Um walk them through the hardships. I have not seen a donor jump ship because uh, of the lack of numbers. If there was a, a reason for it. Mm, Okay. So I, I strongly believe just report the truth. Don't make it up. Don't fudge. Don't keep reporting the same things over and over as if they happened yesterday. (laughs) And, um, 
yeah. So again, there's a lot to there's a lot to talk about here. I don't mean to ramble, but um, Carl, you just got my brain moving. <laughs> those are those are great great observations, Steve. I mean, I, I fully believe that if you do have a supporter or a church who is going to, you know, ditch you and stop your support over, you know, reporting that churches that churches don't exist anymore, people really weren't converted, and well, let them go. You know, don't we don't need to bend over backwards to try to to try to change their mind after we already talked to them. If God wants, if God wants us to still be out there doing the ministry, doing, He will come else or some other church to support us who is on the same page. Amen. Mm. That's right. That's right. Well, Carl, thank you so much. You've brought out, we probably have, you know, two or three more episodes. We could talk about this stuff because, uh, yeah, Steve, I'm like you, my, my mind is now on two or three different things, but, uh, in the interest of time, we'll go ahead and end this episode. And, uh, Carl, I want to thank you for, mm. uh, for being with us. I really appreciate it. And, uh, uh, how great it's been to get to know you over these last few months and look forward to additional opportunities, you know, to partner together for sure. And, you know, when you get to Thailand, I'd love to come and uh, see what you guys are doing there. And mm. uh, it'd be fun to, you know, continue that relationship. So, um, and I want to thank all of you for joining us. I hope these episodes are helpful and uh, they're, you know, thought provoking for you as well as they are for Steve and I as we do them. Um, thank you for joining us and uh, we will look forward to having you with us on the next episode of Missions Talk. To find out more about Missions Talk or to watch previous episodes, please go to facebook.com forward slash missions talk. It is on our Facebook page that we have the catalog of all of our episodes. To find out more about my organization, 18 Catalyst, please go to 18catalyst.org. And to find out about Steve's work with Silk Road Catalyst, please go to silkroadcatalyst.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll look forward to having you with us on the next episode of Missions Talk.